0: This is Power Lunch exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app.
1: Well, by my math, we added two players and lost three. So we're negative one over the last couple of days. So we've lost one player's worth of depth. But uh, I like the mix that we have now better. I think the, the ceiling of this group is higher. Uh, and we have other players. that come playoff time, there's no more salary cap. At that point, we can recall players. We have a number of players in Syracuse that could come in and, and contribute. I like the group that we have right now. And I like the group that we have right now more than I like the group that we had on Thursday, which is why we made the decisions that we have made. Well, well, well. And you thought it was going to be a dull trade deadline, didn't you, when it came to the Tampa Bay Lightning? My goodness, the last couple of days, anything but. The Lightning looking at their situation and saying, you know what? Let's go for it. And boy, have they ever with who they got in their most recent trades. We're gonna talk about it for the next hour. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Linelli, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick is our producer, and boy, some shakeups to this lineup over the last couple of days. And uh, let me bring in my my partner for this show. And Mish, you know, I, I feel like the trade deadline along with the season opener and then the start of the playoffs, it's probably the most popular time during the NHL because every team and every fan base, more importantly, I think, is involved in this because it's involving trades. How do you upgrade your team? Who are you giving away? Who are you getting back? Everybody loves to talk about prospects in return and maybe what they could be, and then teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning – trading away future assets for winning now it really is a time where i think a a lot of people regardless of where your team is in the standings can get somewhat excited about
0: yes i agree with all of that and you know i was thinking earlier today greg about what the lightning have done in the last several days first acquiring brandon hagel and then Not late last night, but it was last evening. The the news came through about Matthew Joseph getting traded for Nick Paul. And we can get into the specifics of of those deals and and what those players are hopefully going to be bringing to the Lightning and, and why they acquired them. And why it made sense. Both deals, I think, Julian Breeze, by the way, explained why they made the deals. The deals make a lot of sense. But remember... In between the end of last year and the start of this year, we didn't have a lot of shows, but I remember that we had some. And we were talking about the guys that were going to be trying to to fill the gap left with the departure of, of the guys that have left. Yanni Gord, Barkley Goodrow, Blake Coleman, Tyler Johnson, and on defense, David Savard. And we were looking at the players the Lightning had organizationally. At that point, we didn't know about Corey Perry or Belmar or Bogosian coming back. But I think we, we touched on this even when we resumed our shows heading into this year. And we did know that those players are going to be part of the Lightning's roster this year. And I remember making this point to you, Greg, stating that the way the roster looks on day one of the regular season is not necessarily what it's going to look like on day one of the playoffs. Meaning that the Lightning had some time. If, if, if the concern was, how are we going to replace these guys for the playoffs, the Lightning had some time. And they could take the time during the regular season to make assessments to determine if the guys that they had were going to be providing enough for them. And if not, and at the time I remember saying, I don't know how he's gonna do it, but Julian Breezeball has shown that he is not hesitant to make deals at the deadline. When I said, I don't know how he was gonna do it, because I think we understood that the Lightning were very tight against the cap, and whether they could actually execute a deal, even if they wanted to make a deal, was unknown. Well, lo and behold, they have been able to execute two deals And Julian's earlier statement about dollars out for dollars in was consistent because the dollars worked. Now, they had Ottawa pick up a little under 50% of the Nick Paul contract. The trade was basically dollars-wise straight up with Chicago. So that part had to be a part of it. But I think big picture, Greg, what the Lightning determined, what Julian Brisebois determined and his staff determined, organizationally, was that if they are going to go for a three-peat, they needed to upgrade specifically at forward. And and by upgrade, it's not meant to disparage Taylor Radish or Boris Kachuk or Matthew Joseph. But when we're talking about those three players, the Lightning have either and or added more experience or at least in the case of the Paul Joseph deal, I think the Lightning felt they needed to get more physical and bigger. And that's not a knock against Matthew Joseph. The body that he has is the body that he has. He has tremendous speed. He probably has more natural speed than Nick Paul, but in terms of how the Lightning wanted to construct their lineup to make a run for a third cup, that was an area I think they felt they needed to, to enhance, and so they did that. But again, it just goes to show that we can kind of spitball and try and figure things out before the season starts and even at the start of the season. But as Julian has said, the the job of his staff to assess kind of talent and figure out how they can improve their team is a 365-day job. And they didn't stop just because they had cap constraints and we were into the regular season. They were assessing their team, and one thing that we talked about last week, Greg, they've been able to assess their team, I think, with clear eyes through this kind of weird regular season and make their determination about, all right, what is kind of the, the ebbs and flows of the regular season that may be affecting our game, and what areas of our game do we really feel we need to address when the playoffs arrive? And I think in their mind, they've done that.
1: You bring up some really good points, and what is interesting about this, I think listeners to the show, once we got to about January or even February, I don't want to say they should have been prepared for this, but we had thrown out on more than one occasion that one thing I think Julian Breezois is willing to do is look at some of his younger players, not necessarily to help his team on the ice for the Lightning, but use them as assets to get what you want in return. And that's what he ended up doing in a big, big way. And we had hinted at maybe they were going to address the forward position because maybe that's something they had shown earlier in the year that they wanted to address And uh, with Riley Nash. And, and maybe that made some sense. I don't know if there was a correlation between the two, although Paul can play center and he is a bigger body, gives them more depth in the bottom six. But I think... I think what this tells us is that where there's a will, there's a way. They are definitely in a win-now mode. And that not every prospect is going to be treated this way that comes up to the NHL because eventually they're going to have to replenish some of the veterans that they do eventually lose. I think Ross Colton will take on a bigger role down the road. I think you could see Hagel taking on a bigger role down the road. But right now, specifically for this team... They had a few guys who do the same things. And when I say the same things, they're more in that bottom six role. And that if they were able to get somebody who was a bit more accomplished, they could part ways with some of those assets to win now. And so I know Julian didn't rule out signing a guy like Paul long term because he is a unrestricted free agent. I don't know if that's possible. They have a couple of unrestricted free agents they're going to have to take a look at once the season ends. But I I think it shouldn't be a surprise that they were looking to address a little bit more depth, even more depth than maybe we anticipated. It's quality depth, what they got with these two guys. And every one of those players that were dealt, Joseph, Radish, and kachuk Julian Breezois said yesterday, that he liked his team before these trades, he likes him ev- even more now. And I think it is an upgrade because those guys they got in return, partner, are more accomplished and a little more polished. It doesn't mean Radish won't develop into a top six. Mm-hmm. He had get a goal and an assist. assist. Yeah, yeah he, he did had very one, well. one last night. He may get that opportunity, but he's not going to get that here, probably. And I think it's wise to look at that and say, realistically, can we flip you? For somebody else that can help us fill a better role and who is a little bit more advanced in their in their play and their skill set than where he is. And I think the answer to that question was yes with Hegel. And I think with Paul, it was just a matter of do you think that's an upgrade over a guy like Matthew Joseph and his skill sets? Joseph in the long run might be better, I don't know. But I think for what they need, Paul is Is a better fit than matthew joseph at this point
0: so let's get into the trades and i liked both deals and i'm not saying that just because you know we represent the lightning (laughs) but i do like both deals and i'm gonna tell you why i like both deals so where i see brandon hagel today as it relates to where i see boris kachuk and taylor radish today there is a difference even though they were all drafted. All three players were from the same draft year, 2016. So they're comparable in terms of their age, and and honestly, they're comparable in terms of their experience, except that Radish and Kachuk were both second-round picks and went to the organization that drafted them. Hagel was a sixth-round pick by the Sabres, never, never signed with the Sabres, ended up latching on with the Blackhawks as a free agent, had to work his way up from the minors, as did... Radish and Kachuk, but Hagel has had at least to this point more NHL experience than either of the guys the Lightning sent to Chicago. So, the way I look at Hagel today as opposed to the other two guys today. We always heard the the comparison with Radish and Kachuk. Radish probably has more natural offensive ability, but the challenge for him is and John Cooper said this early in the season, you have to be able to notice him. There were some games where he was very noticeable and very impactful, and then other games where he was less noticeable. Kachuk, you tended to notice. Kachuk plays the sort of game, an in-your-face type of approach, where you do notice him. But, he did not necessarily have the same tools in his toolbox offensively that Hagel has and has shown at the NHL level. So in a way, I see Hagel as a bit of a hybrid between the things that the Lightning liked about Radish and the things that the Lightning liked about Kachuk. in that Hagel is an in-your-face type of player, and it only took one game for Lightning fans to see that. He had that approach on Saturday against the Rangers, really aggressive on the forecheck, straight line player, physical. And as he said, you know, my work ethic is kind of my, my number one bread and butter. But he also has shown an ability to score. He's got 21 goals this year. Now, maybe he doesn't have like the same ability as Taylor Radish to pick a corner from the top of the circle. But he's definitely shown an ability to produce. So as it relates to what the Lightning got today, as opposed to what they sent off, they got a guy with more experience at the NHL level. And they got a guy who I think combines some of the best parts of Kachuk, as we know him as a player today in the NHL, and Radish, as we know him as a player in the NHL today. More skill, but also more grit into one player. You know what I'm saying? So that's the on-ice part of it. I think some Lightning fans were not crazy about the fact that the Lightning not only traded two prospects to get one player back, they also traded two first-round picks and got two fourth-round picks back. The first-round picks are 2023 and 2024. The fourth-round picks they got back are 2022 and 2024. And just to be clear, the fourth-round pick the Lightning then traded to Ottawa as part of the Joseph Paul deal is their own pick, (laughs) So it's in 2024, but it's not the pick they got from the Hawks. So if you feel in 2024 the Lightning are going to be drafting later than the Hawks, we don't know, but the the pick they sent was their own, which I think that they are expecting is going to be a later pick. So they held on to the one they got in the radish Kachuk deal with Chicago. So, look, they did trade two first-round picks. But as Julian said, as it relates to this upcoming draft, they actually added a pick. They keep their first round pick for this year, and they didn't have a second, third, or a fourth. Now they do have a fourth, and it figures to be a fairly high fourth round pick because the Hawks are going to miss the playoffs. The other part of this is as opposed to the Nick Paul deal, let's say, they got a guy, Brandon Hagel, who has two years left on his contract, and he is still a restricted free agent at the end of that deal. He's 23 years old, Greg. So while it is true that the lightning traded away two first round picks, what they got was a guy that, had he been a high pick, first round, second round, now you'd be saying, look at what this guy has has evolved into. He's a versatile, hard-nosed, hard-to-play against NHL player who is already a 20-goal scorer in the NHL. So they get this guy at the early part of his career trajectory. Now, I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know what future contracts are going to look like. But it's certainly conceivable that the Lightning could be having Brandon Hagel in their organization for many years to come. This was not a trade. like It certainly wasn't a rental. It wasn't even like getting a guy who's in his early 30s You're getting a guy at the beginning of his career. He could be a part of your organization for a decade. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know, but that's why I really like the trade. This is a young player that the Lightning had the Lightning drafted Brandon Hagel in 2016 and he had come up through their system. And then you're saying, look at this guy that we drafted. Sure. He's, he's part of our future. That's the way I think the Lightning need to look at this guy. In terms of why it made sense for the Lightning to make this trade, not just for this year, but for also subsequent years. And his contract is very team-friendly, $1.5 million. Moving forward, not just for the rest of this year, but for the next two years. And then he is still restricted when this next contract expires so I kind of talked a lot about the Hagel deal but I think the Lightning upgraded their roster based on where Hagel is now in his career trajectory as opposed to the two guys the Lightning traded to Chicago and we wish them well and I wish the best for Radish and Kachuk, and I hope they continue to evolve and be really productive players for the Blackhawks as you mentioned it's certainly likely that Radish and Kachuk will get more of an opportunity to play. And Radish certainly will get an opportunity to play in some scoring opportunities that maybe he wouldn't have gotten right now with the Lightning. But if we're talking about, like, who is who is a more polished player, like you used that term earlier in the show, today it's Hagel. But they didn't just get a more polished player. They got a guy who's 23 who has some contract – certainty that's going to really help the lightning moving forward here
1: and that's why they had to give up what they had to give up particularly two guys in Kachuk and Radish who are NHL players who are still trying to find themselves Hagel I think has found himself and more but also has room to grow as you mentioned Dave with that that age the interesting thing about these moves as well particularly Hagel the Lightning have some tough decisions to make in the next couple of years, like all teams who are up against the cap, specifically Andre Pilat and Alex Coulorn. You've now given yourself a few options with a guy like Hagel, if you choose to keep him beyond the time you have him, service-wise, to be a, a decent replacement if that is something they choose to do, in addition to a guy like Ross Colton. And once you get to that situation, once you get there, then you're hoping that next wave of prospects come up and maybe they can fill a third and fourth line role moving forward. But also keep in mind something that's very important when we talk about the Lightning and why they're able to make moves like this and why it ends up panning out at least over the last couple of years. I think you can also be aggressive in who you go after at the trade deadline or even in the offseason when you are trading away prospects and draft picks because a good portion of your core group of players are still in the prime of their careers or just approaching it they're young we're not talking about 34 35 year old guys who maybe have one or two more years of really good hockey left and then you have to really start to not trade your draft picks and start the the rebuild mode if you want to use that word you can do these type of moves if you're Julian Brizois, because Braden Point is under 25. Sergachev is under 25. Vasi's 26. Hedman is in the prime of his career. Kucherov is in the prime of his career. So is Sorelli. Chernak. McDonough's a little bit older, but he signed for a few more years, so he's not going anywhere. The point being is, I think it's a little easier to identify who you want and go after some of these guys and not feel like you have to replenish your system every single year, although you want to do it, when you do know that, for the most part, the core group of your guys are intact. And I know injuries happen, so you have to deal with that when it comes. But the Lightning have done a really good job of developing their own talent And not making that an issue, but even if it was, few teams are in a position like the Lightning because their high-end guys, Dave, are still relatively young, all things considered. They've been around a long time, but age-wise, they're still in that mid-20s, maybe late-20s, early-30s, where that window is still open. And you can still be aggressive because the play of those players has not dipped to a level that would cause you hesitation to give up future assets to win now.
0: Yeah, I agree with all of that, Greg. And and I guess I just want to circle back, following up on what you're saying, to, to fans who may be concerned about the picks the Lightning have traded away, not just in the last couple of days, but going back over the last several years. I think you can't argue with a general manager who is aggressive about trying to win today. I think that's preferable than a general manager who is on the opposite end of the spectrum, who is cautious about making a move for fear of dealing away potential future assets at the expense of potentially winning now. What was it that Julian said last year after he acquired Savard? He said something to the effect of, had I known that I had a chance to acquire David Savard and didn't, and we had failed in our goal to win a second straight Stanley Cup, and I felt that not having Savard was a big reason why, I'm paraphrasing here, and he basically said, that would have been on me. So he he has shown over the last several years, he is not hesitant about being aggressive. So I think, first of all, if you're a fan of a team, you should be happy. I I hate using the word should, but I would be surprised if Lightning fans would be unhappy with the prospect of having a GM who is aggressive about winning now to give his team today the opportunity to win another championship. But if you still have this niggling concern about draft picks, there are a couple of ways the Lightning can help soften the blow. First of all, like you mentioned, their core is still young, so that I think gives you more flexibility. And you know, the majority of your your superstars, if you will, are still in their 20s. Maybe with the exception of, of Stamp, Ghost, and 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 Hedman, who are in their early 30s, and McDonough, who is what he's going to be 33, I guess, this summer but that's still different than being 37 or 38. The other thing that the Lightning have shown a capability of doing is signing guys as free agents. I'm not talking about NHL free agents, I'm talking about undrafted free agents. In fact, they have just signed three of these players in the last month, I believe. And Julian was asked about that at his press conference yesterday. And what he said was, you know, maybe these guys are looking and seeing that we don't have as many, like, high end draft picks and maybe an opportunity for them never really thought of it that way but what I have thought about Greg is if you are a free agent in other words you haven't been drafted or for whatever reason you are available and you can pick the team you're going to choose to to link up with but you haven't yet turned pro or you're not in the NHL yet why wouldn't you want to go to the Lightning a team that has a championship pedigree I always think back to Artemi Panarin, who was playing in the KHL, a little bit of a different scenario, like a couple of these guys the Lightning signed out of college as as undrafted free agents. But remember when Panarin came over to the NHL, he picked the Hawks, and one of the reasons why, they had won three cups in six years, and he wanted to play with Patrick Kane, which he did. I mean, it wasn't his fault that the Hawks traded him two years later. I think we're seeing some of that from the Lightning, too, where this is a destination for players, and not just players like Corey Perry and Zach Bogosian, but younger players, too, that may help the Lightning navigate through the absence of some of these high-end, by high-end, I mean early draft picks, like first, second-round draft picks that they have traded away.
1: Yeah, I think that's... That's a, that's a good point when you start talking about free agents and a way to replenish your your system if you're going to trade away high-end picks. That does make sense, and you're right. I think the Lightning become maybe a destination for kids maybe coming out of school that were undrafted or just signing somebody who uh, hasn't signed a professional contract here in the States for a while and wants to have an opportunity to get back in the organization. I think that makes a lot of sense, and that is one way that I think the Lightning can restock so to speak, I think what's interesting and if if people want to react to the show, they can at Apple's radio. We can run down some of the trades that are starting to come in. We saw Marc-Andre Fleury be dealt and uh, he goes to Minnesota. So mm-hmm. I we think had talked
0: about their goals against is, is fairly high for a team that's playoff bound and having a really good year. So that's interesting. Let's see how they do. Assuming Fleury is going to play the majority of the games. I mean they've gotten good goaltending to, I believe this year from from Talbot but they did trade Kakinen who was the backup to San yeah. Jose as well. I think with the Lightning and I I
1: understand there have been some people I have read that you know you're afraid uh, that the Lightning are depleting their minor league system a bit too much with what they're giving up to get said players. But, you know, folks, welcome to living in a salary cap world when you are a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, Julian Breeze is doing exactly what you want a general manager to do in his situation. And if you have problems with that, then you're not seeing the big picture. The big picture is to win championships. Yeah, you want to win it every year. That's not realistic. But you want to be in the running. And with this core group of players, before they went back to back, They were labeled as a team, as a franchise that was underachieving. Now they're considered one of the best we've seen in quite some time. And that's strictly because they have won cups. And you need to take advantage of those players we just talked about while they're still young and productive. And as a general manager, your goal is to complement those players. And that's what Breezois has done. So I think for him, kudos to him. And for those who are concerned about the amount of prospects or players that the Lightning have given up, to get these players, I don't think you're seeing the big picture. The goal is to win a championship. And when you're a team like the Lightning, the goal is to win a championship every year, even if you come up short. Because 10 years from now, it might not be the case. But you have to strike while the iron's hot. And I think the Lightning are in a position right now to do that. And I think these, these moves certainly will benefit them in a very, very good way. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio and uh if you want to get involved in the conversation you can. We've got some questions starting to flow in. We can get to those here in just a sec. But partner, you brought up a good point before we went on the air today. It feels like the Atlantic division they're making all the moves. Yeah, right. Well now. the four
0: the four teams that are playoff bound in the Atlantic. Now having said that, the Capitals just brought back Marcus Johansson. Who, since he played for them, has changed his pronunciation? <laughs> that's okay. He still did it fairly early in his career. And the Penguins added a depth defenseman in in Nathan Beaulieu, and the Rangers did add Vitrano, And I talked about that deal, how much I liked it. Sorry, my uh, my Monday afternoon
1: Are you mowing subdivision
0: mowing is going on. I am not multitasking. I'm sitting on my lanai That'd be talking tremendous. to you. But the yards around me are being mowed, so hopefully fans can still hear me. But you're right. The four teams in the Atlantic that are, that are playoff bound certainly all made moves that we would call significant. I mean, I don't know if adding Hegel and Paul is at the same level as adding Claude Giroux or adding Hampus Lindholm as the Bruins did and then signing him to an eight-year extension. But I think from the Lightning standpoint these were important moves that they made and they had to give up as we talked about in the end three players, two first round picks and a fourth round pick to bring these two new players in. But yeah, it is interesting and I wonder if I wonder if like the Leafs add Mark Giordano, did they feel more of an urgency to make a deal when they saw what the Panthers and Lightning did prior to them adding Giordano? And Hampus Lindholm, I think, that deal was made by the Bruins before the Leafs made their deal on Jordano. I guess we'll never know. But a lot of activity in the Atlantic. And Chris Johnson, who we had on last week, was dead on. I mean, he said it may be quiet as we get closer to the deadline, but as we hit the maybe the, the week leading up and certainly the days leading up to the deadline, I expect it to pick up, and it has. I mean, the teams that have wanted to move players, for the most part, have been able to move those players.
1: We will have no idea what went down. I am surprised some of those teams that you had mentioned in the Atlantic Division, maybe even in the Metro, did not make a huge push to acquire a player like Marc-Andre Fleury. Because I do think some of the separation here, the disconnect with what these teams did in comparison to what Tampa Bay did, is that the Lightning always have the fallback in Andre Vasilevsky. You know, Claude Giroux going to the Panthers, I think, can help them for sure. And I'm not necessarily even looking at Giroux as a guy who's going to score a lot of points for them. I mean, if Giroux ends up going there and wins faceoffs, that is another way you can control play and keep the puck away from your goaltender who's going to have to make some f- a few saves here and there. And I'm not saying that's never going to happen in the playoffs for Florida. Whoever they start a net, is probably going to have to win them a game, maybe even a series. Are they capable of doing it? Are they capable of doing it against the Pittsburgh or excuse me against the Tampa Bay Lightning? I don't know. I don't know. I think there are some concerns there obviously with Florida. Maybe they won't talk about it externally, but internally I think there are. And I think for Toronto, you know, you can get Giordano all you want. Does he help them on the back end? Sure. But what are you going to do in that? You know, it's like putting a band-aid, I think, on a gaping wound. There are serious questions about a lot of these teams and their goaltenders. And I think a lot of these teams did the best they could without addressing their goaltender per se because maybe maybe they weren't willing to give up what Minnesota or excuse me, what Chicago wanted for Marc-André Fleury, maybe Fleury didn't want to go there. That could be Yeah, I think that might issue. be part
0: of it too, Greg. Flory did hold the cards here.
1: Yeah. Well, certainly for Washington. I know <laughs> reading the tea leaves there, it felt like he was a little uncomfortable going to Washington after all all of those years playing against them for Pittsburgh. That being said, I understand there are only a few elite goaltenders in the league. But for those teams that we've talked about before, Florida, Toronto, uh, throw Washington in there if you want to. Uh, anybody else not named Vasilevsky or Shostorkin. How big of a push did they make to get a guy like Mark Andre Fleury? We'll never know, but I don't know if I was one of those teams, I would, I would be looking at my prospect pool and saying, all right, what do we got to do to get that guy? And I know that was part of the issue with Toronto; they did not want to give up first-round picks and their prospects. Well, listen. You know, if you don't want to have those big-time question marks with your goaltender, you may have to do something like that. They weren't willing to do it, at least right now, and we'll see if that comes to bite them in the butt. This question comes from John Dave. He says, trading Radish and Joseph but not Colton, does this seem they think Colton is a center for the future?
0: Could you reread that question, Greg? I'm sorry. I just heard the part about Colton.
1: Yeah. John says, trading Radish and Joseph but not Colton... Does this mean they think Colton is a center for the future?
0: Well, I think Ross has been used at center. And also, he's done very well on faceoffs recently. And Belmar even talked about that, how hard Ross has worked on his faceoff percentage. So I think that's part of it. But I think they like having Colton at center. It'll be interesting to see with Nick Paul who has taken a lot of faceoffs this year with Ottawa, if he is utilized at all in the center position. And based on how they ran the lines at practice today, Greg, it does appear, at least to start, the Lightning are going to be looking at a line of Hagel, Colton, and Paul. So you have two guys there that can take face-offs. Hagel actually can, can also potentially play center. That's another area that the Lightning really liked about him that he can play wing or center, but Julian said he doesn't really think they're going to use Hagel as a center. But Paul may be used in that capacity, particularly if, if, if he shows that he has a knack of winning face-offs. His percentage this year is a little under 50% playing with Ottawa. Norris had been hurt for a portion of the year, which is why Paul leads their team in face-offs taken. But I think had Norris been healthy all year, he probably would have, would have had an edge on Paul, but but right. it doesn't take away from the fact that Paul took a lot of face-offs for Ottawa. But the way Colton has been winning draws recently, I think he is probably he is probably the the guy that the Lightning are going to look to to center that line. And I apologize, I, think- I apologize for the ambient sound. This is live radio, folks. <laughs> but well- I think the area close to me is almost done. So why don't you talk for a while, Greg, and and I'll put my mic well- on mute. Ad and Florida you can edify the fans a little bit.
1: At Florida Citizen said, Ask Dave if he can recommend a good lawn guy. <laughs> well, he probably can. I think it's a guy in his neighborhood. I think we'll have his name out there, and maybe you can use him at Florida Citizen. But we appreciate uh, you chiming in. Uh, I-, I don't know if they view Colton long-term as a centerman. They may. I, I- I think the, the interesting question with Colton is, do you view him as a top six? And, you know, we've had these conversations about Hagel. Can he move into a top six role? I think Colton can too. Just because I like what he does with his shot. I think he's got some offensive upside there that's untapped. And I think there's an ability for him to play with really skilled players in a way that Pollat does too. Different skill set in some ways, but I think a high-end guy that can finish... Yeah, That might be able to give you 20-25 goals. By the way, Justin Braun to the Rangers. Jeff Merrick reporting that. that so the
0: Rangers have not been totally quiet. They had a lot of cap room. I, I do like the Vetrano edition. And I like Braun. Although I have to say, I was pretty impressed with how the Rangers worked their D. I mean, Braun is a righty. So, I mean, you got Fox and you got Truba as righties. Their third pair righty is this rookie Braden Schneider. I thought he looked pretty good on Saturday, to be honest yep. with you. But maybe it's just depth, and Braun brings a lot of experience.
1: We'll get to that them. Rangers game. In, yeah. In yeah, I do want to get to that. It was...
0: One one thought I had though, Greg, and I do want to mention this as it relates to like how the lightning are going to utilize these new players. And that was asked of Julian Breesbah and the Nick Paul press conference that Julian had lately last night or last night not late last night and he said you know it's going to be up to the coaches to do a lot of experimenting here he kind of laughed he said you know essentially that's that's their job to figure out how they're going to use these different players and he's right so the lightning have what 21 regular season games left to figure it out so let's say if this line of Hegel, Colton and Paul that it looks like the lightning are going to are going to start with completely clicks I mean, maybe you have a similar type of chemistry to the Yanni Gord line, even though they're not going to be identical to the Yanni Gord line. Maybe from a chemistry standpoint, like, it's just fantastic. You end up checking a lot of boxes. Maybe it does fill a little bit of a shutdown role. We don't know that. Maybe it goes about as well as you could possibly hope. I still wouldn't be surprised if John Cooper tries the new guys, Hagel and Paul, on different lines as well. How does Hagel look playing just for the sake of argument with Poyn and Kucherov? Because in the playoffs, maybe you need to go to different combinations due to injuries, due to looking to give your team a spark. And wouldn't it be better if you'd given some of these guys an opportunity, meaning Hagel and Paul, to play with different players down the stretch in the regular season. So I don't know if I expect that's going to happen, but I'll just say this. I wouldn't be surprised if it does happen, that we're going to see some lineup shuffling separate from how a game might be unfolding in the moment. Because Coop had talked about, you know, in the moment I'm trying to win the game, so I switch up the lines. In this situation, it may be a little bit different because you got two new players coming in, and, and I don't think it, it would be damaging at all to let them experience playing with different guys, even if the line that you start them on looks great.
1: To your point, I've kind of hinted at this. I think any type of shutdown line in the playoffs has to include Anthony Sorelli. And then from there, you can figure out what you want to do with his wings, whether it's a combination of Colton mm-hmm. and Paul. Maybe it's Hegel moving up in the top six, or maybe it's it's something else like that. I, I, I don't know. I just I have a hard time thinking. We've heard so much and we see how good of a defensive player Sorelli is. You need that defense the most during playoff time. And I think he's probably the one guy when you start talking about all the measurables, he's fast, he's big, he plays with an edge, he can also score, he's pretty good on faceoffs. I think if we're starting to talk about a shutdown line, and if that's the line you want to, to use or the, the how you want to describe it, that's fine. We can debate that all we want. But whoever's going to go against the other team's top players, I think Sorelli needs to be a big part of that line. We'll see if that happens. Mm-hmm. I think you bring up a good point, Mish. Now's the time maybe to mix a match a little bit to see what you do have. Let's get to some questions before we get to that game over the weekend against the Rangers. Lucas says... Crawled out of the rock I've been under to say I love both trades. Paul adds some net front chaos and takes some goon time off Maroon. And Hegel is a young jack of all trades who's shown some great flashes of offense and gives 110% every night.
0: Well, pretty good scouting report. Uh, we didn't really get into the Paul deal, which is kind of a straight up one for one. It It, it is and it isn't. Joseph was an RFA with arbitration rights. Paul is a pending UFA. Paul is a couple of years older than Joseph and has more pro and NHL experience than Joseph. Maybe not an NHL experience. I'd have to go back and look and, and see. Paul did have to work his way up. He was originally a Dallas Stars draft pick, went to Ottawa in the Spetsa deal, which happened before he turned pro. So in his pro career, he's been a member of the Ottawa Senators and spent a number of years in the minors. Has never played a pro playoff game, interestingly Now, he had a couple of really good playoff years in the OHL, where, by the way, he played on the same team as Barkley Goodrow, which is interesting to think about. They were teammates for a couple of years when they were both junior hockey players. Goodrow turned pro one year before Nick Paul did. But Paul also has extensive experience playing internationally, both for Canada in the World Juniors and then last year in the World Championships – Canada won the gold medal and Nick Paul scored the game winning goal in overtime in the championship game. So even though he hasn't had a lot of pro playoff experience, which is to say zero games of pro playoff experience, he has been on big stages before. And I think the Lightning like the way his game, they feel, could be well suited for playoff hockey. That remains to be seen. But but the point I was making about the kind of the one-for-one, in addition to the fourth-round pick the Lightning sent in 2024, I think the Lightning felt that they were not in a position to qualify Joseph. So they viewed him as a pending unrestricted free agent. When you are a restricted free agent, the way that the team that holds your rights can hold on to your rights is by issuing them a qualifying offer which is like a starting point, but then they're locked in with your organization, and then you can actually negotiate a deal. If a player has arbitration rights, he can choose to go to an arbitrator who will then make a determination as to what the salary will be, and then either you know the team they can accept it to- or the team can walk away and the player becomes an unrestricted free agent. I think in the case of Joseph, the Lightning felt that based on his arbitration status, they weren't going to be able to keep him based on their cap crunch. So the likelihood was, sounds like they weren't going to even qualify him. So he was just going to become a UFA. The same thing happened with Carter Hage a couple of years ago, if you remember, Greg. So the Joseph situation was, I think the Lightning viewed him as a pending UFA. And so they traded in their mind, a pending UFA for a pending UFA, but changed the makeup of their roster for this playoff run and and got a little... Bigger, stronger, more physical, in addition to getting a guy who can win faceoffs. Joseph did penalty kill all year and was paired with Belmar. Both Paul and Hagel have killed penalties this year for their respective teams and killed a lot of penalties. I'm not surprised that Hagel was working with Belmar on penalty kill today at practice. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Nick Paul sees some PK time moving forward here down the stretch in the regular season.
1: Al says, I find the Paul trade interesting. No term, but maybe JBB is looking for options in case he can't sign Palat to a team-friendly contract, or are we looking at another Goodrow situation with Paul? Also, this year's fourth line, will they be here next year?
0: So the Goodrow situation is different because Goodrow had a year left on his deal when they acquired him, if that's what he was talking about. Julian didn't rule out the possibility of trying to get Paul re signed. Paul yes. cannot come to an agreement though with Ottawa, which is one reason why that he, one reason why he was traded. But I think that it's way too early to start thinking about that. So let's see how the Lightning feel about Paul and how Paul feels about the Lightning. He just turned twenty seven. He was actually traded on his twenty seventh birthday. But when you hit that age, you've earned the right to shop the market, if that's what By you the- choose to do. So, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, John Cooper recently just said on seeing division opponents upgrading at the deadline, this is from uh, Ed Cena. quote, it just looks like the Atlantic's like one big arms race and everybody's trying to get that extra edge to whatever they think that is, end quote.
0: <laughs> well, he's not wrong about that. The fourth line that Al asked about, if yeah. he's referring to the Belmar line. So Maroon just signed a two-year extension and Perry and Belmar signed two-year deals last off season, so all three of those guys are going to be back next year right
1: Nick Jones says I like the Paul trade he gives us more size up front and hopefully will help our team defense I hate to keep comparing everyone to Coleman Goodrow but I think Paul's style of play and offensive stats are pretty comparable to Goodrow's when Tampa acquired him
0: well I did just compare the two because they played for the same junior team that's about as far as I'm going to go with my comparisons until we see how this new player fits in with the Lightning and how he is utilized. Bust but I understand Beak? where the fans are coming from with that.
1: Yeah. It's, and it, That's in – I mean, people are going to compare the Yanni Gord line to whoever they acquire that's going to fit those bottom six. Sure. Uh, Bus the Russian Beak says, excellent deals. Breezois said it all. Tampa is a better team now than they were Thursday. They're, that's a little harsh, but he speaks the truth. Looking forward to the second season. He also said he agrees with us. Nick Paul was also a trusted faceoff man for Ottawa. Huge deal in the second season,
0: we all know. Yeah, yeah that size, I, mean, I think, too, that they like. Yeah, you know, they like the size. They feel that, that that's something that they wanted to add to their forward mix going into the playoffs. Yeah. I do want to touch on the the Ranger game a bit on Saturday and then yep. something else that I've been thinking about that that Phil and I were were chatting about at the end of the game on Saturday. So if we are going to lean into the comment that we have heard from from lightning coaches and management and players to process over result, or trust the process, the result will follow. The process was better than the result on Saturday. So. It's not a good feeling leaving Amelie Arena, if you're a Lightning fan, seeing the Rangers score the game-winning goal with 16 seconds left on what was their sixth power play, and that goal came with one second left on the power play. That's a pretty bitter pill to swallow. But what should not be lost in the result is how well the Lightning played in just about every area with the exception of one, and that is the number of penalties they took. That was a big part of why they lost the game, but for much of the first and third, when the game was primarily five on five, the lightning did very well. A lot of the things that we were pointing out in recent weeks, Greg, problem areas, slow starts, leaky defense, lack of attention to detail. I thought the lightning checked a lot of those boxes on Saturday. They defended hard. They, they did a pretty good job of limiting chances, both five-on-five five and in the penalty kill. The problem was they took six penalties. It wasn't a problem with the penalty killing. The penalty killing was really good. It's just they gave the Rangers too many opportunities. So that's why that game had a playoff-type feel to it, because it was a hunker down tight-checking, defensive-minded game. And both goalies played well to deny some of the chances that came their way. So I liked the Lightning's performance on Saturday, but the number of penalties they took, that was a problem in the game against the Rangers, and it has been a problem going back certainly to the road trip. Remember that Edmonton game, they were shorthanded seven times. And what it does is it forces your penalty killers to play more and your non-penalty killers – play less and the lightning's weakest period of the three was the second period they had five shots on net and only eight shot attempts and I think part of the reason why was they had to spend so much time killing penalties in the second period that it took them out of their rhythm five on five so it was kind of like a residual effect of having so many kills it bled into their five on five game once we got into the third though And the Lightning stayed out of the box until the very end. They got their five-on-five game back on the tracks, and they had a pretty solid third period. So let's see if this continues. The next two games are against, similarly, Eastern Conference playoff-bound teams, Carolina tomorrow, Boston Thursday. Let's see if we see a similarly strong, like defensive-minded, defensive-priority, playoff type game from the lightning but they have to find a way to cut down on the number of kills that they're they're putting themselves into over the course of a 60 minute game
1: yeah I agree with you partner and I don't know what to tell you about the penalties I know a lot of people will come down on the officiating and say these were ticky tacky calls and you know there's there's an issue with that. And, and look, you and I have discussed this before. I, I'm not going to absolve the the officiating. I mean, we know what that is. I mean, at least I do. So I, I go into a game, as you've heard me say, particularly in the playoffs, and I just try and block out the officiating because I know it's going to be inconsistent at best. And maybe they have a really tough job to do. I know they do. Maybe the game's just too fast as to why they miss calls, or maybe it's just... We need better officials. I don't know what it is, but I, I I tend not to go that route blaming the officials. We have seen recently, I mean, what was the game against Edmonton and the Rangers, when the Lightning are going to take a lot of penalties, it takes the flow that they want to try to establish. It throws that out the window. And so the game against the Rangers, while the Rangers have some deficiencies defensively, And we gave you the numbers before the game, and partner, you talked about it along with Phil during the game. I mean, this is a team that probably relies a little too much on their goaltender that they had, I think, going into that game, 20 comeback wins. Mm -hmm. And I, I think while maybe the statistics show that they're very good defensively, that might be more of their goaltender Doing a lot of the legwork than they are, then they are structurally just a, a very stout team. Understanding, I think they are improved. I'm not sure I would look at the Rangers and say, man, you know what, in a playoff series, uh, I, I think they're just really going to lock it down. I think if they have a really good defensive series in the playoffs, it's going to be because Shusterkin was really good, not necessarily because, you know, they're, they're keeping the other team's top players bottled in. But let's face it, if you're going to go to the penalty box as many times as Tampa Bay did, on Saturday, uh, regardless if it's the Rangers or the Oilers yeah. or the Senators, it, it it's going to put you in a bad spot. And so in many ways, you can understand why they lost that game. The fact that they were 15 seconds away from going to overtime and picking up points probably speaks more to how well their PK did and you know how good I thought Vassy was with some timely saves. So I, I thought it was disappointing from the standpoint, partner, I don't think they gave themselves a chance to win that game against a really good opponent because they just weren't disciplined. And when you stay in the penalty box as much as they did, it throws you out of rhythm. And, you know, for a team that I think is just working through some things right now, I actually think the trades are going to give them a little bit of a jolt in addition to the schedule. We talked Mm -hmm. about this last week. I think it's going to grab their attention more so than going out west and playing a bunch of teams. That's just my belief. I don't have any... Hard evidence to suggest that's going to happen. I would be really surprised if the Lightning, with their new acquisitions and the way they played on Saturday, don't come out with a lot of energy and play a better game tomorrow and then against Boston. But I think it just goes to show you, regardless of how skilled you are, if you take four or five penalties in a row and the other team goes on the power play, I mean, what, what else do you expect?
0: Well, and this ties into what Phil and I were talking about at the end of the broadcast on Saturday. Whoever the Lightning get in the playoffs, and we'll just even say the first round. Who are they going to get in the first round? They could get Toronto. They could get Boston. I think it's probably a little unlikely. They could get Florida. I guess the Lightning would have to fall into the wild card because they don't see Toronto or Boston overtaking both the Panthers and the Lightning. But be that as it may. And even if the Lightning fall into the wild card and somehow go to the other division, so they're seeing Carolina, the Rangers, or Pittsburgh, let's say, or Washington, any of them, any of the other seven, they all have dangerous power plays. And some of those teams have some of the best power plays in the league. The Lightning are going to have a hard time surviving even one series if they're taking six, seven penalties a game leading to kills against these opponents like you mentioned whether it's Ottawa Montreal or the Rangers all right fair enough but they're not going to be seeing Montreal or Ottawa in the playoffs they're not going to be seeing a team that is down at like 12% on the power play they are going to be seeing a team that can really hurt you on the power play and you need to make the game manageable for yourself by not repeatedly going to the box and stressing, not only giving the other team a chance to score, which might cost you the game, but also stressing your penalty killers, taking your your high-skilled guys who don't play PK off the ice, and then affecting your five-on-five rhythm. And we saw all of that happen against the Rangers on Saturday and, frankly, against Edmonton on the road trip.
1: Yeah. See how it pans out, but it's going to be fun tomorrow. And we'll recap everything again when we have our show tomorrow, noon to one, because the trades are going to keep flowing in. They're probably going to flow in even after three o'clock today. So we may start to see Mm -hmm. even deals that were done before three, maybe start to be announced at four. And then, you know, we'll have a kind of a big picture of what's happening. So uh, it should be pretty decent to check out and, um, you know, Place you want to check out is our show noon to one of course we have yeah the we floated of we
0: carolina. floated the idea on friday greg that we might do a second show later tonight when the team gets to raleigh if the lightning made a deal but i think it's i shouldn't say it's definite but it certainly looks like the lightning are done so this will be our show for today and we'll be back tomorrow prior to the lightning hurricanes game in carolina
1: Partner, great job as always. We will be back at it again tomorrow, noon to one. And then, of course, the game. And that should be a fun game. A lightning and Kane. So all good there. And uh, great job today. And we'll continue to watch the ticker for all the trades to start to trickle in a little bit more. We don't think the lightning will do anything. But then again, who the heck knows? Thanks, partner. Appreciate all it. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. Good job. All right. That's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lanelli. Thanks to Steve Ursik. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.